I remember the rumbling. It felt like a freight train. And then I wake up feeling a swaying. The tornado tore through our small town like a giant weed whacker. And then I was in Japan about a year and a half ago, and you drive around and, and you see a, an evacuation structure the same as you would see a gas station. This is Design Safe Radio, where natural hazards researchers strive to make our society more resilient to everything nature throws at us. Hello, welcome to another episode of Design Safe Radio. I'm your host, Dan Zaner, and looking forward to talking with uh, my buddy Mike Motley from the University of Washington and his uh, colleagues, Dakota and Abby, who have been working together on a really exciting research project down at Oregon State University. Good to see you guys. Good to see you too, Dan. So before we get into your project that you've been working on these past few months, can you tell us a little bit about yourselves and, and your background? Yeah, sure thing. So uh, I'm Mike Motley. I've been at University of Washington now almost 10 years. Um, I came from uh, South Carolina and the East Coast and ended up out here in Washington in 2012. Um, my background is as a civil structural engineer. I'm licensed in Washington. I did bridge design for a few years. And then as part of my PhD, uh, started getting into the fluid side of things and how structures respond to fluids and more so from the point of view of um, marine propulsion systems, Navy propulsion systems. Um, no kidding. Yeah, things we, we have to whisper a little bit about. Um, yep. And so that was uh, uh, the world I came from many moons ago. So I, I forgot that we had that in common. Yeah, yeah. So so uh, propellers bigger than our heads. And so um, from there, uh, came to UW and interviewed and had this whole plan to become a a turbine uh, researcher and never mentioned the word tsunami in my interview. And as I got <laughs> here, uh, you know, I guess they had been um, sort of strategizing behind my back that, that I could be the tsunami person. And, and lo and behold, 10 years later, here we are. So, this, no, this guy knows something about water and structures. Let's, yeah, let's, let's steer him this way. <laughs> let's put it together. Um, so uh, over the years, I've gotten some really good students who've come in. Uh, and so um, Dakota has been working with me uh, now for almost two years, wrapping up um, how things go. And then Abby uh, jumped in uh, first of the year, somewhere around there, and has been helping out and, and getting up to speed. And so I'll let them uh, introduce themselves um, here. So uh, yeah, I'm Dakota uh, Venus. I, I did my undergraduate at Stanford University, and now I'm a second year grad student here with Mike. And yeah, it's been almost two years. I think I started August 2019 and um, kind of came in for the tsunami work itself. I think that I heard the little word tsunami and got really freaked out and was really excited about it. And then I'm like, yeah, this sounds like a great place to spend the next couple of years. And um, and I grow my civil structural background and also um, do some cool research actually with experimentation. And yeah, I think that it's been, it's been a great, <laughs> been a great ride. I'm originally from Denver, Colorado, so I have nothing to do with the ocean until, until here. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Needed, needed to get out of the, out of the dry and, and the cold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Came to the uh, wet and cold. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, until this past week though, which, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah not... it, was, it was a fun, fun, uh, day of records so <laughs> yeah I, I i have been very grateful for the air conditioning in indiana <laughs> yes yes so. uh hi so i'm abby Sura. uh i am the writing senior here in charge of this i am brand new to this project i contacted contacted mike this past winter uh just to see if 
there was anything I could help with. He taught my intro to structural design class, which ended up being the maybe sole interesting class to me in that time. Uh, so he's the one that I reached out to. And then like he said, uh, once it was rolling, we met with Dakota and then within a matter of weeks, I was down at Oregon State uh, living there full time. So I, I moved down in May, I think, and then we just got done about a month ago. Awesome. Uh, so just moving towards the structures path and now a part of the tsunami team, which has worked out. I'm from Hawaii originally, so a lot of people oh, there you go. that I've pursued this on purpose and <laughs> I might just go with that. You're the one of us who may have evacuated. Yeah. So, yeah. So we bring in somebody who's, who's been through an evacuation once or twice. So. Yeah. I, I can't even, fa- I mean, being from the Midwest my whole life, I can't even fathom like what that would, eh, no, nautical pun there, fathom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of, uh, you know, what that would be like. So your research is, is uh, as best I can understand it, about how, debris from tsunami like interact with with structures and kind of quantifying that so so can you tell us a little bit about like what happens in a, in a tsunami to create all these big and little chunks of things and how the kind of current state of research is around around that uh, topic yeah so you know i think that over the last 15 20 years um we have you know, we've seen some of these tsunamis that have happened in 2004, 2010, 2011 across the Pacific, and we've seen that uh, you get this large-scale devastation, the water's rushing in, and, and as the water's coming in, it's picking up basically everything that it, it comes into contact with that is not tied down very well. And so um, debris can be anything, you know, I think sometimes when we have debris in our heads, it's uh, trees and branches and things like that, but for us, we're talking about um, cars and boats and, you know, in Hurricane Katrina, some of the debris were casinos, right? Because they're floating on the Mississippi. Oh, yeah. Out there. Wow. And so, um, you know, the, the scale can be quite disparate. And, and so trying to figure out what we can do with that. Um, and in addition to that, that, you know, we see that, um, you know, houses and things like that basically turn into their individual components as the water comes through and it creates this sort of uh, giant field that's going to move through and change the fluid dynamics, change how everything is, is operating. And so um, what we kind of looked at was that there was quite a bit of work being done on how um, an individual piece of debris or, or you know, a very small subset of debris would load a structure. Uh, and those experiments were very controlled. Um, there were things, you know, there's data out there on logs, there's data, a lot of stuff on shipping containers that seems to be um, where, where a lot of the, the effort is focused. Um, what we decided to do, we had some experiments about four years ago down in uh, Oregon State at the lab and spent the last like eight days doing proof of concept that we could actually see what it would look like if we just sort of arbitrarily put some debris into the plume. Um, it worked and that turned into this test uh, where we did, we ended up doing 400, how many? I think. 410 good tests. 410. More not as Wow. <laughs> yes. And so we initially proposed 250 and, and, and Dakota and Abby knocked it out of the park. We got 410 uh, waves picking up debris, taking them into the structure um, <laughs> and, and basically trying to, you know, we're never going to simulate what it actually looks like out there. But, um, you know, when, when you're watching the videos, it's rare that you see uh, 
uh, a car, you know, on wires hitting the, the structure by itself directly uh, with, with sort of a frontal impact. And so um, I've kind of described this as embracing the chaos and, mm -hmm. and trying to see what we can do there. And then, you know, from, from now to really dive in and, and um, start looking at this a little bit more uh, systematically from a statistical point of view. I think that's really where we're going to get something and start trying to see how can we predict some type of a load on a structure when uh, you, if you take a house and, and reduce it to all the individual pieces of the house and it hits a structure, what does that loading actually look like? Because it, it's not going to look exactly like ramming the shipping container into it. Yeah. So can, can you tell us a little bit about the, the experimental setup at Oregon State for those who aren't familiar with the, the wave flume and kind of how things are our, our set up there, the scale, I mean, it's huge. Um, and the types of things that you're able to do there in those 410 odd runs. Yeah, so I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the, so the facility itself, it's, um, you know, you can, you can go online and see the live footage. Oftentimes the live footage is just sort of the, it looks like a, a long thin pool, but um, things are happening down there and it's uh, 120 meters yes. long, I believe. and. Um, there's a piston at one end that, that moves the water and sends a wave or a series of waves. And uh, then we designed the, the bottom of the flume or the bathymetry of the flume. Um, so we, we turn it into a, a concrete beach essentially to make the waves break where we want. Uh, and then there's a, you know, we call it the orange box. So there's a, a structure about one meter by one meter by one meter that's sitting there in the middle. Uh, it gets impacted by the wave or the debris. Um, and so, you know, from there, we've got pressure gauges and load cells and uh, wave gauges, velocimeters. And then the challenge became, how do you get the debris to hit the structure? And so- <laughs> And uh, repeatedly, I, that, I imagine. So I think that it makes sense for Dakota and Abby to take off a little bit because there was trial and trial and trial and error and error and error, and, but we finally got it. And so- um, you guys want to talk a little bit about all the different ways we tried? Yeah, sure. So I think uh, the initial, when we did the testing four years ago, the initial frame, you could say, that held the debris in place in the flume um, was kind of just this wooden structure that was two by sixes kind of nailed together. And then uh, essentially we float on the surface of the water and then you put these neutrally buoyant pieces of debris. They're made of uh, high density polyethylene. So it's by design neutrally buoyant, it stays on the surface of the water. And you would just kind of throw that in the square initially. And when the wave came, just kind of time it visually and lift the uh, brain out of the water so that it's um, free floating by the time the wave impacts the So it's kind of like, uh, you know, setting up for a breaking, uh, you know, a break in pool or something. Sounds like. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And, and so um, that was the initial design. Um, we kind of took and expanded that. Um, the other idea that came up within the design process was making the debris themselves um, magnetic so that they could be attached to a frame that had electromagnets on it. Um, yeah. The was that it would be, um, it would maintain an initial condition or would randomize the initial condition based on, based on the uh, parameters that you wanted. Um, and so we tried to do that. Uh, one of the, one of the things that we didn't account for was the fact that um, steel is pretty heavy and the debris oh, yeah. um, would sink with steel in it. So that was one challenge we had to work through a bit on the ground, but that's why we hired Abby, brilliant at problem solving, and we, we worked through that there, so yeah. Cool.
Yeah, so there were iterations of the magnets, and then it was the, you know, the little things you don't think about, right? We forgot that adding a small magnet changes the, the neutral buoyancy slightly. And, and oh, yeah. Things. Um, you probably had them sticking about, to the uh, specimen once they got there. Yeah, yeah. And we, and we didn't think about, you know, what it would be like putting them back underneath, right? And so then there was the issue of oh, how, how do we do that? And so uh, in the end, it was a balance of, of the two approaches. And we got, um, I think in the end, the, the magnet setup, which we had designed for consistency, gave us uh, a, a lot more randomness than we had wanted. But I think that that uh, we're trying, we're starting to work through a little bit there. Um, yeah. And so in the end, it's drop the debris, uh, run the wave, it, it moves the debris into the structure, and then we go and collect it. And yeah. Abby and Dakota go, I, I did it three or four times. And so they got, they got some photos. And <laughs> I can claim that I was, I was helping, but uh, yeah, yeah for, the, for the, for the most part, it was, it was Abby and Dakota chasing them down and setting them up and, and, and got pretty good at that by the end. I, I, I imagine you're like down there with, you know, a net and waiters or something. Yeah, exactly. Waiters. Yeah. We, we encountered some interesting, we had, we had, I think Abby and I really did a lot of character building at the room. Uh, Abby in particular, I hired her to help me with the getting in the cold water with waiters part of the project. Yeah. And so we spent a lot of time getting in and out. And um, like Mike mentioned with this particular electromag electromagnetic frame, I guess is how we can refer to it. Um, it was fairly close to the water surface in an attempt to maintain consistency when it, when the debris dropped and hit the surface. So working underneath it, um, obviously it was, it was reinforced and it was, it was safely attached, um, but it was a bit of a, uh, <laughs> how would you describe it, Abby? Uh, well, it was a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> Character building challenge, I think yeah. is the right way to put that. Yeah, the debris itself each weighed about what two and a half kilograms. So, uh, and we had up to twenty-four full-size two and a half kilograms of debris at a time. So each task we were moving a lot of pieces, a lot of weight. So you got a good workout in. <laughs> yes. <laughs> work, yeah. 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 Have you ever heard of a company called Go Ruck by any chance? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's got me thinking of like you know you could you could uh, add into your testing regime you know the the Wim Hof method right of uh, you know the, the <laughs> deep deep breathing and, and getting used to the cold and. Yeah, it's not yeah. needed. That's one. That's one comment we'll say. The pool is not. Is not. Needed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not a heated swimming pool. It's, you know, ocean and cold. Yes. But, yes. um. So so now that you got all these you know, various uh, characterized flows and and way the debris moves, what what are you going to do with that data? So um. That's the big project for the summer. I, I think that you know, with each test, we ended up with what we, like, ten to fifteen um, individual time histories of data. So you're multiplying, you know. So we're sitting on um, basically thousands of of time history plots of wow. forces and pressures and velocities and wave heights and things like that. Um, and all of those are going to be associated with different types of uh, debris configurations. Uh, we've also got accelerometers inside of individual pieces of debris. We were going to try to look at some mm. of the rigid body dynamics of the debris itself and how it interacts with one another, um, and, and as well as high-speed camera footage. And so 
what do you mean by out. rigid body dynamics? I only vaguely remember what that means. Yeah, uh, so, so basically, the we assume that the the uh, structure, the orange, we'll call it the orange box, um, the the structure that's being impacted, and in the individual pieces of debris are not really deforming elastically in any significant way. So okay. they are moving rigidly, and so kind of looking at how the blocks would interact with one another. Um, through uh, you know rigid body motion of, an, of a single block moving around and trying to get a feel for how fast they're moving, whether they're bouncing off of each other, what's happening there. If we can tie um, uh, uh, peaks in the acceleration to forces that show up on the structure, things like that. Um, okay. We haven't really uh, gotten too deep into that quite yet, um, but but that's the plan. So so to start to put together. Um, look for trends, look for, um, you know, what we can get out of this. Ultimately, what we'd like to be able to do is present a few additional design equations based not simply on, um, you know, a boulder of X pounds hits the building at X velocity, right? And so um, we're looking to kind of say, if you've got a, a coastal or like an evacuation structure that's surrounded by this many buildings, we would expect that to maybe turn into a debris field with a density of something and, and the density is based on the mass of the individual pieces. And so, you know, what does it actually look like on a structure when a, I keep saying a, a house falling apart, right? But a house yeah. that, that just kind of comes in and hits a structure, what does that look like for the loading? Because you see a lot of, of literature out there where they'll say, you know, debris was built up um, and you have to kind of guess, did the debris make the structure fail? on impact did the debris build up and dam on the structure and increase the hydrodynamic loads mm. or did the damage occur during you know even during the earthquake and we're just seeing debris that's caught up here and, and eventually really did nothing hmm that would be really interesting interesting to see it and especially as you kind of look at different regions of the world that are affected by tsunamis you know they've got all sorts of different characteristics of the built environment there some yeah. are more rural some are more urban some are in between or industrial and you can you know have way it sounds like way different types and number of, of debris that will impact a, partic a particular structure yeah and so ideally what we'll be able to do is to to kind of pinpoint some trend related to uh, massive debris um you know relating the the randomness of the configuration itself to um, what the loading would look like, what the damming might look like, see if we can, can get some prediction there um, and start building out and, and you know, extending these studies where we would see fit. Cool. Do you, do you see kind of doing um, you know, community and regional scale modeling using some, some of the tools that the Nary Sim Center down at Berkeley is developing? Yeah. Being so, able to say like, hey, we've, you know, got a Google Street View imagery of a particular coastal community and can kind of characterize what types of debris might be there and then, you know, maybe place a notional evacuation center in different spots and see how that's affected. Is that the kind of thing you're looking at doing? In I the think future? eventually, I think eventually it's, it's a lot of parts moving around to that. So uh, one of our co-PIs, Pedro Arduino, uh, he's a geotechnical uh, faculty here at UW. He and I are both involved with the Sim Center directly. So we're both personnel on the, the Sim Center and have been working with those folks trying to um, you know, help with some of the tool development there. I think that um, what we have found is it's it's one highly computationally demanding. So trying to figure out what the yeah. point is, is, is a big uh, issue there. Um, two, there's such a disparate set of physics associated with everything, right? And so you've got your 
you know, inundation models where your scales are to the, the tune of kilometers or even, uh, you know, portions of degrees of longitude and latitude. Wow. Um, all the way to at the vicinity of the structure with a piece of debris, you're into centimeter scale, right? And so trying to figure out what we can do there. Um, the, the modeling plan that we have right now is to uh, use a coupled approach with, um, we do CFD or computational fluid dynamics modeling here uh, in, in my group. Um, we're doing that to basically uh, uh, start to build up and look at uh, how the fluid pressures would change around a built up debris field mm. or individual piece. Um, and then Pedro and his group have been working with a, a software called the material point method, which looks at um, uh, kind of a, a particle-based method where they're looking at the movement of individual pieces of debris. Um, the CFD models are less, um, less successful at, at looking at the movement of debris than they are at looking at pressures on individual faces. And so by using the models together, I think we're hoping to see how the debris moves around in the MPM model, um, then use the CFD models to figure out what the corresponding loads and pressure fields look like. Um, and then couple that, you know, eventually, or I say couple, loosely couple or work with the inundation models, or uh, I know I've seen some of the, the recent work, um, Pat Lynette down at USC was showing some work on um, kind of looking at individual particles and treating them as debris at the community level and just seeing what the the flow patterns would be. And so I think there's a lot of moving pieces there to actually get something that's usable, but that's part of the process is, is yeah. sitting down with the Sim Center and seeing what we think might work. So lots of, lots of job security for sure. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a complex problem that, I mean, you guys are no stranger to it, it being uh, from UW, but it's a a problem that needs to be solved somewhat urgently from you know the the threats that exist in the Pacific Northwest. Um, can you speak to that a little bit for people who may not be familiar? For the, I mean, this isn't just theoretical kind of fun research, but it's got real world applications for some serious uh, potential hazards. Definitely, uh, and, and so you know, like like I said, I mean, how many times do you think you've done an evacuation for? Honestly, in my lifetime, uh, probably three or four yeah. evacuations. In wow. Time. Right. And so, yeah, so it's happening, you know, in real time. And, and fortunately, we haven't seen a, a huge significant event. Um, but even the Japanese uh, tsunami, you know, the, the waves coming across the Pacific caused a ton of damage to infrastructure, ports, you know, billions of dollars along the U.S. coast, um, in addition to, you know, what, what happened in Japan. Um, I think that that you know out here in the Pacific Northwest, where you can draw the map. I, I show this in some of my presentations: a map of the Pacific, where you see uh, sort of the Ring of Fire and all the places where tsunamis have hit since uh, 2004, um, and we're the only gap left that hasn't been impacted. And so, um, when you when you think about it like that, and you think about the fact, you know, there's been a lot of work done by uh, USGS and um, Brian Atwater uh, here at, at you know, who works with UW, um, they have 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 uh, figured out that the last time we had a big tsunami event in the Pacific Northwest um, you know, was uh, in the year 1700, um, and and so you know, doing the math, that's 320-ish years, and the return period for the subduction zone is three to six hundred years. So uh, we're sitting right in the middle of it. Um, and, and 
the interesting thing about the tsunami uh, is based on the, the physics of the subduction zone. We kind of have one chance. We're gonna, you know, if it happens, um, we get the one big one, and then we wait another, hopefully, wait another couple hundred years. And so um, we don't have modern engineering, uh, you know, in the region to figure out, you know, what will happen. We can do our best with our models and, and our predictions. Um, but it, it's also it's going to happen at some point. Maybe not in our lifetimes, but uh, it's going to happen. And, and just trying to figure out how best to be prepared. Um, and I do think that that what's happened around the globe, I think the fact that we would be the last region is, is helpful for us, right? We've seen what the devastation looks like. We saw it in um, uh, in the South Pacific, uh, you know, uh, back in 2004. Um, but I think the Japanese earthquake woke us up a little bit more, right? I think that when you see what's happening in a, a, a comparably developed areas, um, yeah. you know, it's it's um, it can be it's scary. So just kind of being being aware and and building that community awareness is important. Yeah, it's kind of mind-boggling. I, I remember just, you know, being at school in 2004 and seeing that and then, you know, out in the professional world, actually the submarine shipyard and I was more interested in the nuclear side of things and what was going on there. But um, it's it's pretty crazy. Like, as you said, it's, I mean, it looked like a built environment in, you know, Seattle area, like could have had the same types of effects. Um, so it's, it's really good to see that, you know, extremely smart people like yourselves are working on this and uh to you know everything that we've been hearing from you guys and your colleagues that the you know politicians and the public out there are listening and and you know making changes um you know as as best as you can with all the constraints so um it's good to see that there's really good work being done around that yeah, it's, it's, you know, I think that the, the famous New Yorker article, right, that sort of perked everybody's attention. And um, yeah, there was, there's some, um, of course, there's some truth in it. There's also some extremism in sure. it. I think we, you know, that everything west of I-5 is toast. That, that, that one was <laughs> the line that we all sort of rolled our eyes at a little bit. And, yeah. Um, uh, though I, I do live about a mile east of I-5, so this is, yeah. You know, I think not, I live west of I-5. Yeah. <laughs> you live west of I-5. Oh, everybody yeah. lives west of I-5. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah, and so, you know, I, I think, but I, I do think it's real fears, and I think that along, you know, the community, along the coast, um, especially in Washington, it's, it's you know, we think of Seattle as the coast, but it's not, and, and there's a lot of uh, uh, smaller communities that are at risk along the coast that we're trying to get um, and work with to make sure that they are prepared. You know, it's, it's a, a um, whether it's a, a small town of a couple hundred people or one of the smaller um, tribal communities that are out along the coast that they've been trying to help out. Yeah. Um, we're starting to get some evacuation structures funded and, and constructed along the, the Washington coast. I think uh, last time I, I talked, I think DNR and, and FEMA were, had had gotten something like 31 sites that they were trying to put things at. And so, um, you know, it's, 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 we're hopeful, you know, if just that we need the time, right. If it can hold yeah. out long enough, we can get everything, um, set up. And then I was in Japan about a year and a half ago and you drive around and, and you see a, an evacuation structure, the same as you would see a gas station, you know, here in the U S right. And it's just, it's part of the built environment. And I think that, that moving forward, it's just something we're going to see, uh, along the coasts of, of Washington and Oregon and, and yeah. down into California. That's great. Um, anything you guys want to share from uh, you know the 
young researchers perspective about kind of your experience this summer and uh, you know, maybe there's some people listening who are thinking about um, getting into it. I know this is an official research for undergraduates program, but you're doing some research as an undergraduate and, and, uh, you know, getting into grad school as well, Dakota, but um, how's your experience been? What, what can you uh, kind of share with people who are thinking about doing something like you're doing? Yeah, I can obviously speak to the undergraduate portion of that. Uh, it was kind of a unique time because I got into the program here at UW during COVID. And so um, different than how I normally probably would have talked and networked with professors of just stopping by and having conversations, I really um, had to be a little bit intentional, had to be pretty intentional about who I was starting those conversations with, uh, which is why, like I said, I chose to reach out to Mike because I really enjoyed that intro to structural design class Obviously, when I reached out to him, uh, I had no idea that this is where it was going to lead was to doing this specific type of research. But uh, I, for me, it's just been an incredible opportunity, one that, you know, really wouldn't have probably been possible if we weren't in that time because I relocated uh, to another state, you know, and we were researching down there uh, when we normally would have had to be attending classes here. Uh, so that you know, obviously it was a pretty unique experience. Um, but so far it's been incredible. It's everything I know because I haven't actually attended UW in person. Uh, so for me, this is just, there's a wealth of opportunities uh, if you're able to kind of reach out to, to what you find interesting. And uh, I'm just, I'm rolling with it a little bit, rolling with those opportunities. And it's been an incredible experience so far. Awesome. And I, would, I think I would, I would agree with that, the intentionality of, you know, if you are applying to grad school or trying to get into a, a, you know, a project that you're excited about, like reaching out and having those conversations with people that can help you like further that interest. Um, as you know, it's my second year in grad school, so I'm not, you know, super new to this, but, but I'm still in an early career for sure. Um, but one of the best parts about this project for me was, I mean, I was I have some experience in industry managing projects, um, but this experimentation portion of this project was was kind of something that I, I had a lot of um, a lot of purview over. That I had a lot of time to plan, and also <laughs> realized that my plans were not perfect upon getting to site. And um, being in, in grad school, and being in the in the NERI world at this point, um, just really appreciating the support of the personnel down at the Wave Lab. Um, at Oregon State, um, kind of helping me realize what was feasible in my plan and what, what wasn't and how to work through that. Um, but just that, you know, grad school so far has been has been quite a team sport and I've just really appreciated that part of it. Um, and maybe that's not everyone's experience, but for me, especially being able to bring Abby down there and have her be super involved, that was very helpful um, for, you know, in terms of physically doing the work and also, and also just kind of the mental load, like being able to talk through problems, not only with Abby, but also with, again, the, the staff down at the staff and faculty at, at Oregon State. Um, but it was just, it was, it's, it's been pretty cool and a very collaborative space for me to, for me to start my career here. So that's great. We actually yeah. should name drop those people. Yeah, so. we should name drop those people. Yeah. Good old yeah. Pedro Lamonico. I mean, I, yeah. I love yeah. hanging out with Pedro. Like, I mean, we've met at conferences. I've visited him at OSU a couple of times. Like just, he is one of my genuinely favorite people to work with in the narrow community. Not that everybody is great, but he's just yeah. really so he's been fantastic. And, and Tim was a big help. Tim Maddox. Yeah. Um, and your, your student colleagues, uh, 
Yep. Jamie and Rebecca. Jamie and um, yeah, Rebecca, the, the manager down there, the lab, lab guru. <laughs> yeah. Shout that out. Um, another thing that was pretty cool, and I will I'll say this because again, we're, we're name dropping a bit, but um, this project is um, pretty much entirely comprised of, of females, which has been pretty cool. Awesome. This is the first time in my in my <laughs> career. It is awesome. <laughs> I got Mike, you're the fearless leader. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, this is the first time in my career, at least being in a historically male-dominated industry, where um, it's myself and Abby and the grad students at Oregon State. She was also <laughs> a woman, and um, as well as as well as a lab manager down there. And as we bring on more people, it seems like we're getting more and more um, interest from our female colleagues. And it's just kind of it's kind of cool to have a project that um, is kind of self-sufficient <laughs> um that is in, entirely us and that's kind of it's pretty cool that's, great. That. that's really great to hear I, and hope to see more uh, examples of that going going forward and y'all should write an article about just that experience like for for some mm -hmm. journal I, i'd encourage you to do that if you haven't already like i think that's, that's a good idea the see. the female experience of, of an engineer and being able to you know share you know, the differences in this project from other ones you've worked on, I think would be a really interesting perspective. Yeah, it came up when we were down there, I think that we realized that my entire research group right now is is comprised of, of women in engineering. And I think that it, it does, it builds on itself. I mean, I think that that's, you know, we, we talk all the time about what can we do, but I think getting people in it, you know, you see people and you, you start to work. And I think it's been, um, it's been great for the group. And so, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, well done all around and super excited to see what comes out of this experiment and, and everything that comes next. Um, for anybody who's listening, where can they follow along with your research and, and uh, you know, maybe get involved if they're wanting to be a co-PI or whatever? Uh, yeah, so um, so the, the I, I don't have a formal website up, but my uh, university website is, has got contact information there. Um, Brooke, Brooke Fisher at, at UW is very good at getting our stories out and I'm sure we'll be sending these things out. And, and so um, you can find contact there, uh, email is always best. Um, we're gonna be uh, doing some presentations of this work over the next few months where uh, we submitted uh, a couple of abstracts so far, including a couple yesterday. And so um, at, the, at some of the ASCE conferences as we go along. Um, we've also, uh, there are plans to start putting some of this work in front of the ASC 7 subcommittee uh, sooner rather than later and trying to get some of this into the, the next cycle of the ASC 7 code. Um, and, and we gave a recent talk kind of broadly about uh, the tsunami risk in the Pacific Northwest um, as part of a lecture series here at University of Washington. Um, that was the Evans lecture with myself and uh, Dan Abramson and um, uh, Ann Bostrom, who, who work in urban planning and um, uh, sort of the social science aspect of these things respectively, um, as well as Congressman Derek Kilmer, uh, who you know, represents the district at risk along the coast and cool. we got those perspectives. And so I thought that was a fun um, open discussion of, of kind of the risk and how people are gonna respond and, and that's up online as well. Um, so you can find that through the UW website, but um, you know, hopefully over the next year, we're going to really be putting this information out. I think there's been a lot of interest in seeing what's there, um, seeing how this all shakes out. And, and we've got, um, we've got a lot of data to look at over the next yeah. six months. 
Absolutely. And <laughs> so if you're if you're a researcher out there and wanting to use the data, it'll all, all be up on Design Safe eventually. I'll be up on Design so. Safe. We're going to get it curated, uh, hopefully very soon. So you know, yeah. it's, it's a big project, but yeah, uh, the data will be publicly available um, you know, very soon. Cool. I, I know you didn't mention it, but I hopefully we'll see you at AGU in the fall. Perhaps, yeah. So Maybe. I'm starting to. I, I've stopped thinking about travel. So now right, it's so weird. It's like, wait a minute, yeah, Mexico so, places. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So, so that that may be a good opportunity for us there as well. Yeah. So if you're if you're listening, if you and if you do end up at you, you know, make sure to look for for all of us there. Nary has a booth again, and we <laughs> we're by the beer again. <laughs> we made, Popular booth. We made sure of that. No. Yes. So. yes. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll see you there, if not uh, some other time at uh, one, of, one of the other conferences we ended up at, which we could have conferences again. It's so nice. So That's great, huh? Oh, man. It's a wonderful world we live in. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to, to know you guys and hear about the great things you're doing. Thanks so much for taking the time. I, I really appreciate it. And enjoy the rest of your summer. And I hope it cools off for you. We've already cooled off down into the 50s at night. So it's, nice. it's back to normal here. So. But thanks Excellent. again, Dan. You're, you're doing a great job. The, the podcasts are, are fantastic to let people highlight their stuff. And so we were excited to be able to, to participate. So thank you as well. I appreciate it. Thanks. Take care, guys. Yeah. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Design Safe Radio. This show is sponsored by the National Science Foundation grant number 1612144. You can subscribe to Design Safe Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts please leave us a review so we can improve the show. Please also help others find our episodes in iTunes. Thanks for your feedback and support. You can find out more about Nary at designsafe-ci.org, on Facebook at Design Safe Radio, or on Twitter at Nary Design Safe.